Hello and welcome to the Render Bar. I'm Steve Jacks. I'm Erica Robbins. I'm Richard Sanchez. And we are three visual effects editors working in film and television. We all have a different story to tell about how we came up through the film industry, and we're here to share our experiences. Each episode will take a deep dive into our past to share stories about how we've navigated the cutting room to find a better balance in the workplace. The ups, the downs, and the in-betweens. And we'll have some great guests to share their stories too. It's going to be a fun time, so pull up a seat to the Render Bar. Hey guys, how's it going today? Hello. Hey, so uh, today's episode is actually going to be a pretty interesting one. We're going to go back to the beginning. What do you think about that? Are we going back to the future? Uh, it, we're back to the past. Oh, back to the past. Okay. Back to the past. That's that's, that's the that's the sequel they need to make. That's, back that's, to the, the, that's the prequel trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> Forward to the past. Yes. Uh, so today I want to ask you guys, uh, you know, kind of basically how we got, how you all got started, how we all kind of got into what 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 made us be where who we are and where we are today. Let's go. Let's go in that direction. So, do you guys have like um like Erica? Do you have a like a kickoff point? from when you started working in film, like anything that kind of got you excited to work in the film industry? I mean, honestly, I, I think it's just a thing that I've always been kind of interested. Like when I was a little kid, my dad and I would make like little stop motion videos and things like that. And I've just always been into, I was like super into Disney animation as a kid. And, and um, a, like, I really liked gremlins and I really liked, um, like like stop motion animated films and and so I I think it's just something that I've always been really into so it just kind of came naturally I guess um, when I went to college like I ended up majoring in film and then I came out here and went to film school so it's just in my blood maybe <laughs> yeah that's awesome uh, did you ever make any stop motion films on your own uh, not anything crazy I think I made some like little short films just messing yeah. around but like that's nothing cool. yeah. Made me think you'd have a lot of fun at uh, Robot Chicken with it. <laughs> well, I did do, um, when I was in graduate school for one of my short films that you have to make, I did a film with puppets. So, and oh, I made wow. my puppets from scratch. Like puppets? Like or, little rod puppets? Muppet style? Yeah, like little rod puppets. So like their mouths moved and then I had little rods for their arms. That's awesome. <laughs> they were very, very basic, but. That's pretty creative though. Uh, when you're starting out, I, I remember in some film film school uh, when one class, one student did a, a film using puppets. It was like it blew us all away that they had the <laughs> creativity to go there in their choice of uh, a film they wanted to tell. Richard, what about, up, what about you? It opens up you? character options. Um, yes, it's yeah. true. <laughs> you know, for me, it was it was interesting because I didn't go to film school. I actually studied to be an actor. Uh, really wanted to do that, and it was in my last quarter at. UC Irvine that I just took an editing class. It was Final Cut Pro 2 and sitting down with it in the first week, I was I just had decided that's all I wanted to do. I was basically ready to kind of put my major aside and pursue this. And, uh, you know, my, 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 my first kickoff point was uh, it was through that old website, entertainmentcareers.net. I found a job working for this company that did video for cell phone long before the iPhone existed. So it was very primitive. Uh, if you had a really good phone, you could watch 10 frames a second. And that was the Cadillac of the mobile viewing experience. Uh, but it was, you know, it was one of those things where, 
because of the accessibility of cameras like the Panasonic DVX100, you had these cinema cinematic style uh, cameras and equipment. And so I did a lot of field shooting and it was great, but also at a certain point I realized, well, I want to edit and I've been asking and I have, I've kind of fallen into camera work. So, well, if I want to edit, I might need to take things into my own hands. So actually I left that job when an opportunity to work somewhere else came up because it was like, well, I want to edit. Not getting that shot, so you know, I got to make that happen. Cool. And it was this stuff you were doing while you were in? You didn't go to film school, but you were doing this while you were in college. This so, so this was this was after I graduated. Oh, okay. So while I was in college, for most of my college experience, I was pursuing acting. So I was going on auditions. Uh, I I did one commercial where you might have seen me get turned into a chicken in a PlayStation commercial, but that was the the height of my uh, acting career. We got to get that video in the in the bio. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get that link. What oh, was the What was down. the commercial for? It was for Ratchet and Clank. It was Ratchet a PlayStation game. So I got to get turned into a chicken. That so was. what what pushed you from acting into doing editing? You know, it, I was really into zombie movies at the time. Uh, little did I know that zombie movies would become everywhere some 15 years later. Uh, but I I had got this DVD set. Uh, it was the original Dawn of the Dead that had both the European version and the American version. They were basically the exact same footage edited completely differently for different markets. And that was kind of the moment of, oh my gosh, you can make completely different movies you know, by, by these editorial decisions. And that, that was, you know, sort of the, that was the eureka moment. And it was, oh, that between that and the file uh, or final cut pro class, it, it was just this, you know, it was this, this confluence of uh, art, art and technology that was, yeah, I always loved computers. And it's like, I get to work with computers all day. I get to work on movies. That sounds amazing. That's, that's perfect. That's awesome. Yeah, Eric, I saw you shaking your, you're nodding your head, agreeing with him on some of that. You had the same experience? Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, when I first went to film school, I was more interested in, because I do a lot of uh, photography as a hobby. And uh, so I was interested in cinematography. And then when I started cutting together my own projects, I started to realize like, oh, there's like a lot of fun to be had here in terms of like retelling the story through editing. Yeah. Definitely. I, I agree with, with you guys on that one completely. I mean, my, my story just from going to the movies a lot with my, with my dad and my, my family, you know, as a kid in high school and like middle school, that just being surrounding myself in film is what got me to like, see that this was a, a well, not only just entertainment, but fun to just see on the big screen. And I always point back to like two movies that struck me when I was in when I was young it was like tight watching Titanic for the first time and then the Matrix Titanic being that like what you could see on screen be so epic and so big and be in awe of of the the like the 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 bigness of it you know seeing the water rushing in and all that stuff and just like I don't understand how they film this it feels like magic right and then the Matrix seeing this like how special effects like visual effects that were so obviously visual effects be used in such a way to tell a really cool story. Uh, so to me, it was like that. And then that got me into uh, filming my own little fight scenes in my backyard with my friends, adding little lightsaber effects. And then from there creating like stories through it. And then to, to, to say, to agree with what you guys were saying is that I found myself just 
it's locked in my parents' basement in the laundry room was where I had a little, they put, gave me a little office with my compact computer running Pinnacle Studio. I think it was like Pinnacle yes. Systems TV editor. And I'm editing my short film at, with all these little lightsaber effects I have to do in Photoshop frame by frame by frame. And I just started to like get into that and find that this was fun just being locked in my basement and just figuring this out all night long. And yeah, and then going to film school. That was kind of like an obvious for me and everyone who knew me, like you're going to film school, right? It's like, yeah. And so that's that's what got me into it for sure. There was something about that CompUSA system, the pinnacle system where like you sit down and you go like as something as basic as a cross dissolve, like, ooh, I did that. Yeah. And the different transitions and just like, like, like Eric, like you were saying like, oh, I can put music here and I can it makes me feel this and that's cool. And that's interesting. And to me, it was a lot of like, well, I, I, I just was, everybody knew me as the kid who saw movies all the time. Like they would ask me what, what, what's out right now? What do you like? Because I just went, went to the movies like three times a week, uh, maybe more. And that idea of just like, Oh, for me, it was a lot of, can I replicate what I see? You know, I remember trying to replicate credits you know, a crawl and thinking, oh, well, they, these are all the names. I just wrote them, all the names, all the credits down from a movie I enjoyed and then just replicated it. And that was my way to teach myself before film school was just, can I replicate what I see and make it work? And then, you know, sometimes it didn't, sometimes it didn't, but that was my thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that the two film examples you chose too, in that both were such visual effects pieces for such distinct different reasons. You know, one trying to recreate something that is the real world, but obviously we weren't there during the actual Titanic crash. So you're trying to be faithful to the real world with the real sense of, of, of physics and geometry. And then you have something so high stylized as the matrix, which I think is like, it's, it's, it's the beauty of how big the world is too, is, you know, Mm -hmm. do you, do you go into the, you know, the, the tech wonderland of that or keep it within our own world, but something so, something so exciting about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me about, uh, Richard, tell me about like your first job in the industry. So what I consider to be my first real job in the industry was it was working in unscripted. Uh, it was a show for the history channel, uh, called UFO hunters, which at the time it was, it was just, to me, it was the coolest thing that I was going to have my hand on something that was going to go on TV and being a kid of the, you know, the eighties and early nineties, you know, uh, X, X files was a big part of my life. So anything UFOs, I was all over. So uh, working on a show about UFOs, and it was one of those things. It also it also illuminated this sense in that uh, uh, was I ready for that transition? You know, if I knew what was going to be expected of me, uh, the answer is probably no. Uh, but I think ignorance may have been a bit of a blessing in disguise to me, just in the sense of, I said, I can do that without even knowing totally what an assistant editor did, but I knew enough about digitizing stuff, you know, using mini DV tape decks that when they sat me down with a a VTR, we shot on DVC Pro HD, uh, it made sense to go, oh, the tape goes in here and it goes from HD to SD, and then I'm going to hand it off to my editor. I didn't even fully understand what grouping meant, but it was enough to talk to the more senior assistant editor and say, oh, this is what I need to do. And it was a night job, so, you know, working 7 p.m. to, you know, 7 a.m., 
or later sometimes it was it was it was a lot of work but it was uh that's definitely what i consider like the the show that i cut my teeth on what was the name of that again ufo hunters ufo hunters what where did you where is it a show was it like a reality show it was yeah it was an unscripted show for the history channel which at the time i remember thinking wait history i, I, I guess uh it, in a loose grasp of, of of history but uh it was yeah. uh you know we have roswell which was in history so cool sure but i didn't Stretch. care i was <laughs> i was over the moon to be on something again to be on something that was going to be on tv to be you know there, there was something exciting to say like history channel and people know what that is as opposed to i did a film is it going to be showing anywhere no yeah oh, sorry yeah <laughs> yeah and that was like your first thing in the industry right away working night shift as an assistant editor Mm -hmm. that's cool that's cool at a time when i was still a little intimidated by avid so uh i was i knew but i knew final cut so that was kind of good enough you know and it was also at a time where finding really solid final cut assistant editors was kind of a difficult thing you had a lot of people who were well experienced in avid and thought that they would transition that experience directly over into final cut and some things transitioned well and some things really didn't and so it was it was valuable at least at the time that i was kind of fresh and willing to stay up late and go oh how do i do that you know and that that was my that 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 was a valuable time for me coming into it from that angle that's cool and so you uh were teaching yourself final cut already you weren't mm -hmm. in the film industry, you were acting and you just connected with right, the right people to get this job. Mm -hmm. In fact, cool. in, in, in perhaps the silliest way possible, or rather the most cliche sounding way possible, because I was working for that company doing uh, videos for cell phones. And I was literally standing on the corner of Cherokee and Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, that's how cliche this story sounds. And a friend from high school walks down the street and I say, hey, how you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm working for a reality company right here. That's so cool. I want to do that. He goes, well, I know someone who needs someone. And uh, oh, uh, you should give them my number. And uh, I know, you know a guy which, who knows a guy who needs someone. Which is, it is kind of the thing is, you know, it is for, for anyone who says, you know, I don't want to move to LA. I empathize with that, especially as expensive as LA is, but sometimes you got to go where the work is and, you know, you, you kind of never know where things will come at you. And were you already here and in, in for school? Or you're from, and you're from here, you're from LA. That's I had I had the fortune of living in LA, so yeah. I I will not pretend to really know the hardship of moving to a city with no friends and no prospects and just a sense of gumption like I'm going to do this. So I find that I find that very admirable uh, because that wasn't my story, and I recognize that that is very much my privilege. I like to, I'd like to use gumption in a sentence. <laughs> I, I know. Like that I think, think that. I like to think that we all the have the 1920s. Hey, roll up our sleeves. We had like gumption. Think, yeah, exactly. I like to think that we all have gumption in this room right now. So, uh, Erica, what about you? Um, well, going off of what Rich was just saying about about coming out here where the work is, I came out here for film school, and I actually got my first job through somebody that I met in film school. Um, he had done an internship on a Paramount movie, and one of the AEs he'd worked with went on to another movie and was looking for a PA. 
and he recommended me. So I ended up like my first real job in the industry was working as a post PA for a Paramount film. It was a film called Labor Day, which had uh, Kate Winslet and Josh Brolin. And it was just like, yeah, kind of like the same thing. Like it was kind of just this magical experience to like work in a real post-production office on a real movie and get to watch dailies and just see actual movie stars. Like it was mm -hmm. pretty amazing. Like even if, even though I'd gone to film school, I, you know, and I knew how to use an Avid and I knew the basics of like what went into editing. It's still a very different experience to actually get to see a real film come together. So that was um, just like such a really cool experience. And through that, I met a bunch of people like the editor and some AEs that I worked with that I still keep in touch with and have worked with since. And, you know, I kind of, especially the editor, Dana, she really kind of took me under her wing and moved me up. And that's really just kind of the start of how my career took off was from there. And is that the same Dana we know? Yes, yeah, it is. Dana, the Dana Yeah, she's fantastic. And we all, we have been working best. with her on the Mandalorian and Ahsoka shows. Uh, that's cool. So you, you, you made a connection so early on, like right away with someone that yeah. you're still working with. That's really great. That's great. Yeah. I was going to ask, was your step in through uh, film school as well? It was, it was, I, I say I owe my entire uh, career to an email from entering film school. So I went to, you know, focused in editing and sound design. And then I had in my, in my editing course, my uh, professor uh, said she received an email about from an assistant editor that was in town shooting a, a small uh, independent film and they needed a, an editing intern. And so I jumped on the opportunity and said, yes. And it was like my last, it was like my last semester of school. Yeah, it was my last semester of school. And uh, I was just taking some class I didn't really enjoy, but I, I could get I could get internship credit for, you know, so I could, if I got the internship, I'd get credit for, for school. So I reached out and, 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 uh, the editor or the assistant editor of this film, it was called the mysteries of Pittsburgh. It sounds like a, just some weird movie, you know, never heard of, but it had Ben Foster or is it Ben Foster or the, his brother. It wasn't Ben Foster. It was his brother, the other Foster. I don't remember his name now. But uh, Sienna Miller and uh, uh, Peter Skarsgård, yeah. And it was this little movie based on a book, and they were shooting in Pittsburgh, and they were doing post. They were shooting and doing some of post in Pittsburgh, and the assistant editor was Ian Bloom, and he was a New York guy. And so uh, he called me up, and we had a great conversation. You could tell I was like eager and hungry to get to get to work. And I landed that internship and it was the same feeling as Erica said, where you walk in the room and everything you think you know about making movies suddenly changes. And you're like, oh, this is real. Like there's a giant, pla there's a giant plasma screen that the editor has a whole editing bay. And, and what, mind you, we're in the hotel in downtown Pittsburgh. It's, it's not a, a fancy editing suite. It's just a hotel. Cause I went to school in downtown Pittsburgh, uh, Point Park University. And you walk in and it just feels like, oh, this is a real thing. People are really, the production office is here. Editing is here. You know, locations is here. Like everything is happening, right? In the same uh, little like office suite. And it hit me that this is the real thing. What have I been doing for four years in film school? Like, this is what I need. And then you're there and, you know, being able to just, you know, yeah, I'm doing paperwork, doing this, uh, doing the uh, uh, script binder, the, the, you know, the line script and things like that, making my, you know, copying pages, hole punching, all that, 
all that dumb stuff. But I had the chance to kind of do some, you know, do some stuff here and there to kind of help them out and learn the Avid a little bit on my downtime uh, and kind of get some feet wet and, you know, kind of understanding how the process works. They ultimately had to leave to go back to LA and then I was left without finishing the job uh, with them. And I tried in my brain to figure out how I could move to California. And I was like 21, you know, 22, maybe 21. No, 22, maybe. I don't remember how old I was, but uh, I didn't know anybody out here to make it work. So I couldn't do that. But, you know, one internship led to another internship in Pittsburgh. Um, and then ultimately there, my choice was to either go to New York or like stay in Pittsburgh and to me, like jumping into post was a little, took a little longer than you guys, because I, if I had made a jump to New York or LA right away, maybe I would have had that opportunity like you did. Uh, but that internship, I had to wait a few years before that internship really paid off because that assistant editor, Ian, it wasn't until a couple of years later when I finally moved to New York and had already been working some other jobs like accounting, I fell into the accounting department on film production in Pittsburgh and kind of rode that to Philadelphia, passing out paychecks to back to, to New York, working on some uh, network television shows in accounting. And I knew that I didn't want to move up in accounting, but uh, so I did keep telling, like, if you know anybody in editing, let me know, I want to jump over. And finally, this assistant editor, Ian, who I've been in touch with for years, says, I can bring you on. We, we can interview you for this film. It's called Going the Distance. It was a Justin Long, Drew Barrymore comedy. And that's the one that got me in as a post PA. And that was like 2009, I think, 2008. And that's when I was, you know, kind of then it was, oh, I'm here every day. I have a role. I'm post PA, still just getting coffees and stuff. But I'm, it was a paid job in editing. And that's when it was kind of started to tumble into a real career. Well, you know, and at, at risk of, uh, of of misrepresenting, or rather, just to clarify, because it, it sounded like you, you mentioned that uh, you know that uh, we came into it, you know, rather quickly. You know, the the one thing I always, you know stress upon people is there is no real timeline to this because the fact of the matter is after college you know between having just gotten my degree in acting which had nothing to do with editing i mean of course judging performance sure there's there's cases to be made for that but um pursuing editing i actually worked at starbucks for four years out of college you know and so actually my integration into the field was around the same time you did it was around 2008 you know after scouring all the websites and the websites are difficult because i i wouldn't i would not diminish what they bring to people because they are jobs they are often low-paying jobs and as i'm sure the two of you well understand too is the best jobs are never on websites. They're always word of mouth. So by the time anything makes it to a website, it's kind of, it's, it's just, it's picked over. It's what's left, you know, mm -hmm. but eventually by throwing out enough resumes, you get on one of those gigs and you go, okay, well, it's, it's a chance to meet people, you know? And so, you know, nowadays you have, you have sites like staff me up, which didn't really exist when I was getting started. And then I think entertainmentcareers.net still exists. I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, now you have groups like there's Facebook groups, like I need an editor where people just reach out. And it's just one of those things, you know, again, you always take it with a grain of salt because 
there are jobs that have varying degrees of pay. Sometimes it's insulting or even illegal. Uh, but also when you don't have experience, that's the kind of experience yeah. you need. When, and, when, you're, and when you're young, you're just trying to get work, you know. Mm -hmm. Erica, have you like experienced the frust any frustrations when you were first starting out? Like work-wise, like getting another job or maybe not sure if this is where you really wanted to be or 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 do for your future goals? Oh, I mean, sure. I think I, I think it'd be crazy to say I didn't have any frustrations. I mean, yeah. I, I guess the biggest one for me, and it kind of it kind of coincided with like a family thing that was going on at the time. But uh, there was definitely a point early in my career where things kind of fizzled out for a little while, and I had a hard time finding my next gig, which is another thing. It's it's easy to to make it sound like oh, I went from this to this to this to this, and you know, but there are definitely like, especially early on, like gaps between the shows I was doing where before you really know a lot of people, you can kind of struggle to find work. Cause even the people I'd worked with on the first couple of shows, they, you know, sometimes they would take breaks between the shows they were doing. And I was, you know, making a PA salary. So I really kind of needed to keep finding stuff to do. Um, so I, you know, I did a couple things, um, in between shows early on where I was working on like uh, I think it was like a PBS thing, just like some little documentary shorts and just whatever random things I could find. And so there were definitely frustrations and just kind of like sometimes early on just trying to figure out what my next thing was and just feeling like I needed to meet more people and, you know, get to the, like the point where I'm at now where I feel pretty good about my network being big enough that I can find stuff much more easily than I could back then. Yeah. But at the same time, that experience led me into VFX editing because after that really long period where I had a hard time finding my next job, I ended up hearing about a VFX assistant editor position on the first season of Supergirl. And so I did that, not thinking, cause I had never really, I'd done, like I dabbled in VFX. Like I knew how to use After Effects and I definitely done some like temps and stuff as an AE and an apprentice on earlier shows, but wasn't really something that I ever thought about doing by itself. And, mm -hmm. but you know, I needed work, so I took it and it ended up kind of launching my career. So that's great. Yeah. I think, you know, if you kind of just try to, I guess, t take those frustrations and try to make them into like, try to work with them and just, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, we all experience frustrations, but to just try to kind of be like, okay, why am I frustrated? Like, what can I do about it? And move forward from it. And I feel like eventually you figure out how to make something work out, hopefully. Yeah. So. Right. I mean, that's a great lesson. Just kind of like sticking with it. Just keep at it. Yeah, exactly. Keep at it. Uh, I know I had, I was just thinking about it. I probably had about three years, three, four years where I was kind of felt stuck in accounting. Uh, but that was my foot in the door at the time I was, I was an intern and I found, you know, I was an intern at one thing to another, and then they're like, hey, can you help us unload boxes? I said, yes, as a PA. And then they said that their assistant or their accounting clerk was never just, I guess, just bailed on the job. And uh, they and the accountants that I had met while I'm unloading boxes, they liked me and they said, hey, we like you. Do you want you want a job? I said, well, job or versus no job? Yes, I'll take the job. And that was like my foot in the door because in my head, it was rather than I knew I wanted to be an editor, but I didn't really know how to get there exactly. So in my head, I'm thinking, well, I can get my foot in the door here. It's in production. Let's see where that goes. 
and I rode that as far as I could. But there were there were points, even as a post PA, where you know I'm not making a lot of money. I'm not in the union. I don't know what the next phase is to even jump into assistant editing. And talking to an assistant editor, I was working with on this film called The Next Three Days. It was a Russell Crowe action movie. They shot in Pittsburgh, and I was a post PA. And I remember like getting really frustrated. Like, should I should I bail on this thing? Should I should I just go and just try to short, uh, edit my own films or something, or not work my way up the ladder in the film industry, but do it my you know do it my own way? And they, you know, kind of telling me like, keep just stick with it. It's what you want to do. You got to get in the union, just kind of work your way toward that, you know? And so there was, I had that frustration of like, should I, I didn't know, I had no plan B except for to continue what I was doing, but I didn't know how to get into the cutting room exactly as an assistant. And then, so it wasn't until um, kind of being able to work on some low budget films in New York as an assistant did I start to get my teeth uh cut my teeth on low budget shows where you weren't doing too much but you're doing enough to kind of get a credit you know um and then it wasn't really like like uh Rich you said working the night shift I'd say that was a somewhat of a I don't want to call working the night shift a break for me but uh having realizing that there was even a night shift position available on reality tv because in my head I wasn't going to do reality is what a lot of people say but then there's this whole world of, of jobs and then i was at a place of like i couldn't afford my rent in new york and i had to bail i had to go back to pittsburgh and stay with my parents for a while and that's when i found this night shift that got me back to new york and i said okay i'm gonna do it right you know figure this out so i don't have to go back home again financially make it work get those editing jobs and i did and it kind of that propelled into uh more work like Erica said, where you start to people know your name and you're starting to get the assistant jobs. And, and that, but that was a frustrating time, but you kind of just have to like keep remembering what your, what your bigger goal is. And then you can kind of stick through it. You know, it's funny. The biggest form of frustration that I had early on was learning how insular all of the worlds of editing are in that I didn't realize that if you, if you come to be in unscripted, sometimes it can be very difficult to transition over into scripted television and likewise transitioning from television to features can also be very difficult because people have all sorts of stigmas in all directions, really. And it took a lot of time to break those barriers and, and also learning that all of those stigmas were very much untrue. You know, it, it always felt like the general perception of unscripted is that unscripted is bottom feeders. And then uh, then I noticed that there was a stigma against people working in scripted being that, oh, it's, it's uh, paint by numbers, which after I started working in scripted, I learned that is very much not true. And then uh, when I wanted to work in features, which that took me a really long time to kind of break that bubble and get into that world, there was always this perception that, oh, feature editors are too slow. They can't keep up with television, you know? And that's also one of those things where some people edit fast, some people edit slow, but I don't think that's just a blanket statement that is accurate about this group of editors in general, you know? And then it, the, that argument also gets more complex in that, well, our very 
methodical, well-considered edits that don't require a lot of nickel and diming and, you know, nudging to get right. You know, I mean, maybe it's slow, but if you don't change it, it seems like you save time in the long run. But I found trying to traverse those worlds was very difficult. Uh, and so, yeah, I often get very frustrated with the, oh, you don't know scripted. Oh, you don't know this, you know. And yeah. on one hand, I, I get the concern because I think when you get a pool of ambitious people who step in, they all will always answer the question the same way of how how are you going to deal with this thing you've never done? And everyone says, I'm smart. I'll figure it out. And most people are and do, but not everyone does. And I think for a hiring party that's ever been in the position who said, I took a risk on this person and they didn't cut the mustard and it really put us in a bad situation, I get how they'd be apprehensive. So it does create all the more... Um, need to really stick it out. But I think both of you have said it already is just the importance of just sticking it out. And there's no, there's no two ways about it. It, it's an awful feeling when you're just, you're young and hungry and you just want to, you want to be a part of something exciting and you know, you have a lot to bring. Uh, and, and you do have to, to a large part, kind of wait it out and your time will come but as you've both as you both have experienced as of eyes you wait it out you be modest and it will come yeah there's no one answer no one timeline but uh yeah well and it's also really frustrating i don't know if you guys ever experienced this but just when i was going through those periods i would talk to people and ask for advice and they would always say to you say to me Oh, just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing the right thing. And it just was like so frustrating. It doesn't feel like the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. So, but when you're, when you're just waiting and yeah. trying to wait but, it out, it's like, uh, but like, going to pay off? But like specifically, what should I do? Yeah. <laughs> like, tell and, me all the steps. <laughs> and there's something to be said too about, you know, coming to coming to a sense of peace with the fact that not every project you work on is going to be extremely fulfilling and that simply is what it is but mm -hmm. you know i think there's something to be said about sometimes there's nothing wrong with taking a job that perhaps you're not enthused about but you're still going to bring everything you can to it and it's a job it's going to pay the bills and you keep on looking forward to that job that does fulfill you and i think you also run into one sometimes you don't even realize how fulfilling a job might be. Uh, it doesn't appear that way. And then you get on it and it turns out to be great. Or you get that dream job opportunity after you've waited for so long. And there's that sense of, I've arrived. Okay, now now let's make sure that, you know, I've earned this spot and, and, and I'm going to do it. But, uh, you know, there's, you know, it's easy. I think it's, I always found that, it's 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 almost like the the bicycle thief effect, you know, when you know when you're working on something that doesn't fulfill you, it always seems like all these great films come out that seem so amazing and you're going out to the movies going, that's so cool, why can't I be on that? And it's it's easy to get into that oh, mentality yeah. of of yeah. I I'm I'm losing time not working on these great projects while I'm working on this and it's a very normal feeling and the idea that it's okay take your job and just keep on learning. I, th I feel like, you know, I, I always take Conan O'Brien's sign-off advice uh, from The Tonight Show, which is don't be cynical. 
because that that is the killer you know just don't let it make you cynical it's all relative you know Mm -hmm. like you don't realize what you have until you have some uh time to reflect on it and some experience to then look back you know Mm -hmm. uh but on that note richard you mentioned something that made me think of this did you ever uh, discover a job that you thought of but turned out sorry did you ever discover a job that you hadn't thought of but turned out successful yeah i mean quite honestly vfx editing is exactly that job that if you would have told me you know five years ago or ten years ago uh do you want to be a vfx editor first off i probably would have said i don't think so no probably not and uh may and and it was purely ignorance on my part i didn't know what the job was i just knew i wanted to be an editor i wanted to be an assistant editor move into editing that was my career path and that was my career path based on just the assumption i had of the field and then the first time i started learning you know about tracking shots and databases you know i just kind of found oh this is actually I I kind of enjoy this. And then, you know, I, I, I found that you work on a show that has 400 shots and you go, oh, that, that was a pretty complex show. And then you work on a show that has 600 and 800. And then eventually you're working on these 3000 shot films. And this, it, it, it almost becomes like this. Uh, you kind of want to see how far you can you can push it like, oh, can I do this? Oh, 4000. That's it feels like a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got this. We got this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Erica, have you had, uh, is that, would you say the same thing about going into visual effects editing? Yeah, definitely. That was, I I, like, kind of like what I said earlier when I got the job on Supergirl, I, it wasn't something I was really thinking about doing. I, I had been working my way up as assistant and I wanted to be an editor. And then I got that job and started doing, because I'd never just solely done the job of VFX editing before then. Mm -hmm. So I, I just found that I really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, just kind of went from there. That's awesome. Yeah, I have the same same thing, same thing to say for it as you guys do. Never really thought of VFX editing. It was the path of apprentice, assistant, uh, editor. You know, that was the, the, you know, the goal. And, you know, after joining the union and learning the ropes with an assistant editor teaching me everything and then kind of getting cutting my teeth as an assistant for a while, thinking this is the way to go, uh, worked on this film uh, called I, Tanya with Margot Robbie. And that was a thing where they said, oh, we don't have the budget for a VFX editor. So you as the sole assistant editor have to take on that job. And I said, okay, uh, I, don't, I know, don't even know anything about how to even uh, manage a visual effects editor position, let alone understand how many shots we have to equal how much work we need to hire someone, you know? So I ultimately had to take it on myself and I'm so uh, grateful for that chance because that not only told me how to uh, manage these shots, but also uh, do comp work to like create shots from nothing or then to manage the shots in the database. And before this job, I worked on Deepwater Horizon, which was a huge visual effects show as a second. And I was able to work with VFX uh, a lot helping them uh, because we already had two firsts. So I became kind of like the assistant that was helping VFX. And Mike Strzok, who was a VFX editor on that film, who we've been working with on Mandalorian, uh, was someone that kind of took me under his wing a little bit to help navigate that. And that's what helped me on Itanya because there I was like, okay, I'm familiar enough with this to kind of say, yes, I can do it. If I didn't have any of that experience, it might it might have been 
a lot more challenging. Uh, but I'm sure he would have still navigated through it and, and, and brought it to a success. But having some of that background really said, you know, this is actually kind of interesting. I like the data. I like kind of the organization of the database, keeping track of everything. I like creating the temp effects. I like popping in all those new versions, seeing it all take place and how they change and form into new ideas and new concepts. Um, and yeah, that's where like you didn't think that it was going to be your bread and butter, but you know what? It kind of is. And now I think I know Rich and I have talked about it. Like, I don't know, Erica, how you feel, but a lot of ways as I've continued on as visual effects editor, the more the goal of editor has waned. <laughs> yeah, you know, it kind like, of has for me too. Yeah, yeah, like that idea is, while I still love the idea of it, I feel like this is a whole different world that is connecting a lot of the things I loved as a kid, which was making visual effects and special effects and the art mm -hmm. of it and the, the, the design of it. Uh, in, in as well with storytelling, but this is a whole other area. And you know what? There's a lot of stress that comes with being an editor that I'm not sure if I really want. I enjoy cutting, but you know, maybe that's more of a, I do it on my downtime um, uh, instead. But you know, you you touch on a really good point too for you know for those who are unaware in the sense of uh being being a career first assistant editor or a career vfx editor is one of those things where it's you know i think oftentimes people hear the word assistant in a title and think oh well that's just a low pain well that's just a stepping stone but a first assistant especially to a high level editor is often a very lucrative job often mm -hmm. pays very well and it certainly has its its stress but it is it's a valid and honorable career, you know, that I think earlier on, at least in my career, I don't want to be a lowly assistant. And you go, no, that's, that is a critical job and a good first is worth their weight in gold as most mm -hmm. editors will, will, uh, attest to. And, and likewise VFX editing, just the amount of shows that have increasingly com complex VFX editing, there's something to be said about. It's great that it's it is an in demand job and if you love it there there there's a wonderful place for you it's a, a definitely a career path for for those interested in that oh, work yeah. you know back in new york i that was the same thing rich i saw everybody was moving up to editor in some capacity whether it was in television or features or they were an assistant and they're on the side they were cutting low budget films to eventually move up to editor but that was the path. And it did feel like, oh, uh, I, there's no way to have a career as a, as a first. That doesn't seem well, cause I didn't, I didn't, wasn't seeing that, you know, I wasn't really, I, I think I can, I can count it like on my hand, one or two people back in New York, that three people like that were, oh, I've always seen them as a first. Uh, but from all the people I knew that were moving up like me, no one thought of, I'm going to be a career first. You know, and it wasn't until I came out out here to L.A. that I started to, like, really understand that on bigger films with, with assistants who have been doing this for a long time. And they're fantastic at that job. You know, they know exactly what to do. And that is the difference between, like, oh, this I'm I'm good at it. I'm going to stick with it. And uh, I can I can run the room. Come to me. I have the answers. I can run this thing. Uh, so that's definitely an option as a career as well. Not just having to go climb that ladder. So like on that, do you guys have any mentors that uh, stick out to you that helped you out through your career? Um, well, for me, definitely Dana, <clears throat> yeah. I would say, because she really took me under her wing and helped 
helped teach me a lot and, and helped propel me forward. So definitely her, but I've also, honestly, I, I think because that was my first real experience on a film, I I've kind of just tried to let everyone that I work for be a mentor as much as I can. Cause I, I just think there's so much to learn and people who have been in this industry for a long time really have a lot to teach you, especially if you're new. So very diplomatic of you. Yeah. Well, but it's true. I mean, <laughs> Every, I think everyone's I think a mentor, <laughs> but I think it, well, I mean, some people maybe don't want to be, so not everyone, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I think it's important to, to have the mentality of as like an individual of always wanting to learn because you're never like you're never at the top of your game really I don't think I think there's always no. something new to learn yeah and I think if you want to really advance in your career having that kind of mentality is really like helpful humility exactly you know sure. like maybe I have more to learn and I'm not at you know there like as if there's always something more to learn you know in any capacity whether it's technical or political yeah. or you know uh, interactions with people things like that uh, Rich, well, and especially, or... oh, sorry. No, I was go just going to say, especially yeah. in visual effects and even in editorial, it's such a technical field. There literally is always something new to learn, too. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. That no matter how much you learn, you're still going to be behind because there's something new mm -hmm. coming out. You know, that's that's always going to be the case. Well, and you know, there there's a sense too of there, there's something valuable about working with different people because we do effectively the same thing on every film, but there, it's it's so valuable to see how other people do the same things we do because you know, touching on the aspect of humility, there's something there's something so uh, humbling about when someone just goes, "Here's how I do it," and you go. Oh my gosh, everything about how I used to do this doesn't make sense anymore. This oh, is yeah. this is a oh, yeah. and and I'm always reticent to say the right way. It's one of my least favorite phrases, but it's there are better there's certainly better ways of working and it all varies by context, but you know, like uh, likewise for me, I, I I can't point to one single mentor, but there is very specific people that really took time with me that I'm always grateful for. I mean, the first editor who hired me on UFO Hunters, Jeff Tober, he was a supervising editor who I was interested in learning the tape decks. You know, people would look at Digibeta decks and they'd look at, uh, we were using D5 HD and most people would look at it and go, I don't want to touch that. I'd be like, I want to learn that thing. And uh, and so that was really exciting. And then uh, editors like Lawrence Jordan, I worked with him on uh, uh, actually my, my second feature uh, that I ever worked on when I was just getting my feet in that field. We put together our business, Master the Workflow, uh, just kind of a, a, a kindred spirit in terms of wanting to give back to the community. And, you know, just there's there's been a lot of editors who I, I find what I tend to learn most from editors, uh, more so than even creative decision making, is how to deal with people. Because I think that's one of the biggest talents the editors have is dealing with people, whether it's dealing with difficult people, because there is more than the fair share of difficult people in our field, but also just not even necessarily difficult, but everyone has a different way of hearing feedback and taking notes. And sometimes the way you make your case to someone about, you know, when you're fighting for a decision that you want to keep in the show, there's different ways of approaching that. And the interpersonal aspect of the job 
job is so critical that I always find if an editor lets me in the room, I'm always interested to see how they interact with their director uh, and with their producer, particularly when they don't agree. That, that's mm -hmm. one of those things. That's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, you usually touched on something there, Rich. Like the, the mentors, I, and I would agree with you, the mentors that I think of for myself are the ones that I learned how to navigate the room and how to how they navigate their job in terms of their balance, you know, or how they speak to people. It isn't just they were really smart at the craft and that's what I would call a mentor. Yes, that's great. You're learning a lot. But, you know, from Ian Ian Bloom, my uh the assistant editor who got me my first internship, we every anytime I see him, we joke that he discovered me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's like I found him. Uh, but someone who was continually being able to easily, easily able to reach out to and thus maybe help get you a job down the line as if, you know, keep that, keep up that connection, which is, Hey, how you, how you been in an email or let's grab a coffee. Let's just catch up. How's your family. It's more than just, can you get me a job? It's what's going on in your life? Cause this is a relationship, you know, all these things that we, we, all the people that we work with, it's relationships. We work in these rooms. We see each other more than we see our families you know, during the week. So there is that connection to, to build on those relationships. Um, another uh, editor that I've worked with that was a big mentor for me was, uh, his name is Jamie Kirkpatrick. He works in New York as an editor and he does a lot of smaller films, but continually working uh, as an editor. And he got me my first kind of bigger assistant editor role uh, where I was like running the, running the room. And from him, it was this mentality of uh, he had kids and he was saying, no, I got, we're going to be, we're done. You know, six, I got to, I got to leave or seven, no, take off, take off. I don't need you, you know, um, and helping me navigate, giving me an opportunity to, to edit, you know, when he had to leave for a, a, a week and I had, but the, but the director still needed to kind of get some, get some uh, work done with his cut. I stepped in and I had the chance that my editor trusted me with the director to kind of sit in and like make a, make some trims here and there. And that same editor ultimately helped me get my first editing uh, 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 credit on a film that I assisted for him. He had to leave, uh, he had another job lined up and I was right there to, to move into the editing chair um, and cut my first feature kind of like in like together with him, but you know, he had to leave, but then I was taking over. And, but still it's that same kind of like, I respect the respect equal respect, you know, from your mentor, like they respect you as much as you respect them and they respect your time and they respect your work and your, uh, what you give to what you provide them as an editor, as well as like the feel and the vibe in the room. Like I like working with you. So I help you, you help me. And it kind of goes that way. And that's a big thing about being a good mentor, you know? Um, so did there ever, uh, a point where you had to make a choice to steer your career in a particular direction. I feel like we've kind of answered this one, but um, like in terms of how we've kind of decided, like when we realized like maybe VFX editing was more of the uh, role that we wanted to take. Did you ever like turn down work or turn? Yeah, yeah. Did you ever like turn down a job that you were offered because you really didn't want to go down that road? I I ended up leaving a job for a better opportunity that I think really was a huge turning point in my career. Um, I mentioned earlier that I worked on Supergirl and when I was on that, I, there was another VFX AE who I 
am now like really close friends with. We got along really well. And she had been working on the previous few seasons of Game of Thrones. So she ended up leaving early to go back to that. And after she left, contacted me and was like, hey, things are starting to get really crazy over here. It was they were getting into season six, which is when the visual effects on that show started to really ramp up. And she was like, we, you know, I really liked the work you did on Supergirl. We get along. We'd really love to have you over here. And I had never turned, like, had never quit a job before in the middle. Like, Supergirl went for the rest of the season. And this was probably like November, December. So I was going to have to leave early, which I was kind of, you know, put me in some turmoil at the time. But I ended up leaving and going over there. And I think it was a really good decision for my career. And I ended up learning so much and still have worked with people from that team ever since. How was it navigating that? Like, I I'm, I want to leave this job. You know, I, I've had that experience too, where like, you don't want to cut, you don't want to burn bridges, but you also know this is a exactly. better opportunity. Um, how do you, how did, how did you handle that? Was it, you said it was a little turmoil. Can you dive into that a bit more? It was more my own internal turmoil than really anything there. I mean, they were upset yeah. that I wanted to leave, but you know, I did my best to make sure I gave them like a four weeks notice. I gave them as much time as possible. Yeah. I helped train the person that came after me. So I tried to yep. make it as yep. smooth of a transition as possible, but it's still one of those things. It's just, I, I, yeah, I hate letting people down, I guess. I think we all do. I think we all have that feeling of like, uh, you know, I, I know that we, we're ingrained, I think in this industry to say, you're going to stay on this till the end, you know, kind of mm -hmm. like, you got to stick through it. Uh, but when there's better opportunities come up, uh, how do you, you know, I kind of do want to leave, you know, and I always said, I had, I knew someone once that they left, they quit the job. I replaced somebody back in my accounting days. I, I replaced somebody and they um, uh, just moved laterally. You know, it wasn't a step up. It was just laterally because maybe that job had more duration to finish than this one. And that kind of thing just doesn't sound so great. But whenever it's, oh, it's for a better position, more money, it's more fulfilling. And then people around you can understand that and kind of root for you. Say, yeah, you know what? That makes more sense for you. Good luck. And then like you said, I'm going to do what I got to do to help bring the new person in. You know, I've done that where I quit and I had to make a whole like spreadsheet, uh, work, mm -hmm. Google doc of this is exactly how I do my job. So the new person doesn't have to do anything, but follow steps oh, yeah. one through one through a hundred, you yeah, know, I did all that. Yeah. 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 I, I worked as a second on a film where it wasn't really going so great for me. I felt like I kind of, it was a, it was a job I took cause it was there, but really I had already done a couple VFX editing gigs, but then, uh, it was, I had already done season one of happy. And then I worked on a film and then during that season two was coming up and I, I had to think about, they wanted me back, but I wasn't sure if I, you know, again, do I still want to be an editor or do I want to be VFX? What do I want to do? And then it kind of worked out in my favor that this was the answer became more clear that going into VFX again, diving back into that world is my best opportunity. And that I had this, they're going to hate me. They're going to like think I'm bailing and that's not what you do. and those things. And then once I told them, you know, they were like, Oh, this is great. Good for you. Congratulations. I'm like, Oh, I thought you'd be upset that I'm leaving you high and dry. Oh no, you're happy. Okay, great. So then we're cool. Great. And then, you know, that thing of like, if you've always just let people know and they knew my strengths was, it was in VFX as well. So 
when you let people know in advance where you want to be, that also helps when you leave. And that was the same thing in accounting. I left an accounting gig on a, I think on a, like a Tuesday, I gave them like three days notice to leave on a Friday, like for a post PA job. Same thing. They were like, oh, well, we know that you sucks for us, but we know you always wanted to be in editing. So happy for you, you know? And, and sorry, but in that example, they wanted me to move up to a second assistant accountant working with petty cash. Cause they knew I was good with, again, the database, the numbers, the, the data entry, I'm like quick and fast. And they wanted me to move up. And I'm like, ah, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to move up here because you don't want to be too good at something you don't really enjoy, you know, mm -hmm. cause you can get stuck in that. I see a lot of people, even outside of this industry get stuck in this place of doing something they don't really love, but they're good at it. You know, so I knew those are some examples where like, no, I gotta, I gotta go this way. And I'm glad I did. Well, you know, and it's, it's encouraging too, to hear both of you, uh, talking about how, when the person you brought this up to was, was happy that you were happy and going on to something that was going to make you happier. You know, it, it, it does feel like a betrayal, uh, for me, a similar thing happened to me when it was i i was working my way in scripted television and just wasn't making enough connections in features so at that point i decided well i guess features are just not in the cards for me i'm i'm not going to make any any relationships there and so my career won't go there and mm -hmm. uh right around that time i was working for a company through some old work colleagues they hired me on a job that they probably didn't even necessarily need me for but i needed work so they gave it to me so it was it was a very generous thing of them anyway and i got an opportunity to work on a feature and it was you know kind of how you were talking about taking a lateral job it was this was actually a pretty significant pay cut uh, it was a very low budget feature so i was going to make about half of my normal rate on this feature uh that i was making on television and so like trying to explain like oh is it a much better paying job actually it's a significantly worse paying job uh <laughs> but it's a feature it was union yeah, it yeah. was a feature and it was like i was like and you know it was a similar thing where i could tell i, w I could tell they were upset that they were losing me but but they they just said is that what you want and i said yeah and they're like okay and it, yeah, like you say, is I said, I will call all of my friends. I will line up some replacements and you, when you need a phone call to get you through this, you know, I'll pick up, I'm not going to leave you high and dry. And it's kind of amazing how I, I think most people are in that situation where they're like, look, if that big job comes up, you know, uh, you just kind of you do kind of need to take it you know there are there yeah. are better ways to deal with that exit you know but uh i mean the truth is people come and go all the time yeah you know i mean jobs don't always line up perfectly and i've seen some great people leave jobs that you know still can continue to work and it's no, mm -hmm. not a problem and there's a big difference between quitting and leaving people high and dry mm -hmm. versus planning it out planning your exit, um, preparing for someone else to take over and guiding mm -hmm. them. Even after you've left the job, you're gonna have to take some phone calls and emails to like smooth, yeah. have the transition be smooth. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference there. I think uh, mentally it's hard to, uh, to comprehend that when you are thinking about leaving a job. Because in my head, I thought that, oh, I'm quitting and they're gonna hate me and I'm gonna leave people high and dry. But in reality, you're not. You're, you're gonna, you know, you're good at your job, so you're gonna, you're going to have that smooth transition. 
So on that note, did you guys ever have uh, like a job you actively pursued? For, um, like if you heard about a movie coming out that you wanted to be a part of, did you ever actively pursue a job or have you always kind of taken what's come? I've only done that once uh, and it was, well, I take that back. I, I've actually done that twice, uh, but was surprised to be successful at it once in that. And it was it was a job that was a bit of a dream job. Someone told me they were looking for someone, but what ended up happening was the information I was given was wrong. The contact they gave me was at the complete wrong studio. I didn't even know what studio was producing the film. So I called the phone number and uh, I was waiting for them to say, to say, oh, hey, we're looking for someone for this film. And they didn't mention it. And then at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, so I, I heard you guys are, uh, you guys are ramping up on this film. They're like, oh, that's not us. And so you have, I had this like kind of heart dropping moment of, okay, well, this isn't to be. And I despaired for about a day and I just said, I, I'm in the position right now where I know they need someone. So I need to find out what I can do to get my way to that team. And so what I did was I was following their IMDB page every day to see if they would list the editor and the first assistant. They didn't. And so I just gave it time. And about a week and a half later, they updated it and they did list the editor and the first assistant. And so I checked my list of Facebook friends and said, do I know anybody who is one degree away from them? Uh, but not not just that, because I didn't want just anybody I'd met on Facebook. I said, do I know someone on Facebook who I'm willing to call in a favor? And you know, one thing I'm really big on is, and I've had people do this before, even if well-intentioned, I don't like it when people lie for me. Like if I know someone socially and they give me a recommendation, they say, oh, Richard's great. I've actually had this in an interview once where they said, oh, this guy said you're, you're great. And I was like, I haven't worked with them. And so, uh, and so, you know, I reached out to, I found a friend who I had known well enough to say, would you just make an introduction? Don't, you know, just, I just want to meet this person. I heard they were looking, they're probably staffed up. And I reached out and uh, my friend made, uh, she was very gracious and made an introduction. And I met this person and I tried to keep it very casual. Cause again, I didn't want to, I didn't want to make it about getting a job from them, even though, I mean, that is the, the, the impetus of it, but, uh, you know, I wanted it, I wanted it to be just casual. And so my friend made an introduction and I got no response. So I waited another day and no response. So I said, I'm just going to reach out just to say, you know what? It was great meeting you. Uh, sounds like you're really busy and you know what? I bet you already have someone because you've been doing this a long time. You have your team. Uh, I'm super excited for the film. And they reached out to me the next day and said, we're so busy. We didn't have a chance to check our email. We actually still need someone. Uh, do you want to come in and, and meet us? And it was like, yes, yes, I do. And, and then the challenge becomes, you know, you go, okay, now I don't want to just like show my hand and go, oh my God, it's the coolest thing in the world, even though it was. Yeah, whatever, no big deal. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But you but, just told you reverse psychology them. I mean, but it, but it, but it, it filled me with this sense of like you can pursue that that 
show you want. You know, I mean, obviously it comes once you have a certain amount of colleagues. But again, being a business of relationships, it is it is all about, you know, having having friends that we we all call in favors with each other. And I have my list of friends who you call me, you need something, I'll I'll do what I can. I I wanna help I wanna help the people I care about because that is that is the community. And mm. And all that to say is, yeah, it's, it's uh, I'd like to think that fortune favors the bold. Don't be too bold, you know, because you don't want to come off as arrogant. But uh, I don't know that that's that's a, that's a lesson that I, I would say is uh, is there's nothing wrong in being, you know, in, in being forward. Don't yeah, so, I, I but mean, again, don't overdo it. Yeah, right. Don't be too right. forward. Don't be yes. too forward. I've seen the people who are too forward and then it's it's a it's a bit off putting. And then you don't want to bring them on. But what you did there was you said, I want to just meet you and have yeah. some lunch and just kind of say hi. And I think what you're doing is cool. That's like yes, a really great way to, to to get your foot in the door rather than saying I'm asking for anything. You know, and I've had my share of like, uh, I'm just here's the e I got here's my list of people. I got an email looking for work, looking for work. Looking for work. How many times did that ever work for me? Like rarely. Right. But when you say, hey, let's meet up for lunch, let's meet up for a coffee, let's meet for a drink. It's building that relationship. So, you know, that's all to say that all of our, to wrap this all up, it feels like all of this, all of our little stories are all about kind of more about how we navigated relationships with, with people in our industry to help us get where we are, you know, and I think that's pretty great. You guys have anything else to add as we wrap up? Just to just to reemphasize that is is that is I, I I do feel I am a product of everyone that's helped me, which is why I feel the need to help as many people as possible because that's how that's how we get through this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's all about relationships, really, and just being known as a reliable person and being able to help other people, and mm -hmm. they can help you, you can help them, and I think they call that get ahead. They call that synergy. Synergy, yeah, that's the word. Sure. Yeah, cool. This has been great, guys. Uh, thanks for thanks. You know, well, not thanking you. You're a part of the. It's like I'm thanking you for being on the podcast you're that you're welcome. already on. You can thank us. It's fine. Hey, guys, thanks for being on uh, the render bar today. <laughs> then you thank me. Thank me. Thank you, thanks, Steve. Steve. Hey, you're welcome, guys. Hey, thanks for watching, listening, and watching uh, wherever you get your fine podcasts. Uh, we will see you next time.